Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible episode to share with you. Uh, This time around, I had the opportunity to speak with a man named Jack Murphy. I came across Jack on Twitter originally. Uh, He's got a great Twitter feed, and I recommend you follow him if you don't follow him already. Uh, Jack is a writer, an author, a speaker, podcaster. He wrote a book called Democrat to Deplorable couple of years back, which is really great. And I recommend you purchase. Uh, he's also the founder of an organization called the Liminal Order, uh, which is most of what our conversation uh, was focused on today. The Liminal Order, as described on their website, is an exclusive men's organization whose mission is to change our culture by changing ourselves. I appreciate the intentions of the Liminal Order, and I was able to ask Jack a number of questions about it, which uh, certainly piqued my interest. And, and at the end of the day, I realized how powerful it can be to be a part of something like this where you're uh, connected with like-minded individuals, uh, both over the internet and uh, in person. And that is truly one of the most powerful things you can have in today's day and age. Uh, So I really enjoyed uh, talking to Jack and asking him a variety of these questions and learning about this uh, liminal order very new to me. uh, And I'm sure you will enjoy it as well. So please, without further delay, enjoy this episode with Jack Murphy. Hey, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on the show. Hey, my pleasure, man. Happy to be here. Hey, so for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about your background and you know, what you've been up to lately? Sure. So uh, my name is Jack Murphy. Uh, I spend most of my time on Twitter at Jack Murphy Live. You can find me there. Uh, there's also a website, jackmurphylive.com, Jack Murphy Live everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I am a, an author. I wrote a book called Democrat to Deplorable. Um, I am a uh, sort of social media professional. I spend a lot of time on Twitter, have a pretty decent following there these days. We're preaching about 40,000 people now. And then uh, I run a, a national, actually an international men's organization called The Liminal Order. And uh, that group came together about a year ago. Uh, after uh, some crazy experiences I had, we can talk about it if you'd like to get into it, the doxing and some other events that occurred. Uh, sure. But the Liminal Order is, a, is an international men's group whose uh, mission is to better ourselves so we can take care of our families, our communities, and then, then hopefully have a positive impact on the nation. And uh, with the coronavirus happening recently, the Liminal Order has been extremely busy, been in very high demand because uh, as part of our function as a group, uh, our job is to help make sense of the world for our members. And we were ahead of the curve on Corona. So by about mid-February, we had everybody prepped. And uh, it's just been a super busy time. Uh, the world is changing. Everything that we we knew in February of 2020 is going to be altered in some fundamental way for the future here. So this is a extremely exciting, dynamic, uh, historic, once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, uh, sort of event. And so... 
uh, in my line of work with writing and, and social media and content creation and, and running this uh, men's organization. It's been extremely busy and, and energizing uh, despite uh, the crisis and the calamity. You know, there's just been a ton of activity and energy going on in my world and uh, I've been keeping very busy. So um, it's been fun and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it really is these times where things are stressful, things change, and all of a sudden, you know, people revert to their more primal instincts that I think a group like yours really comes to shine. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. The crisis uh, comes with opportunity at the same time, right? I did a podcast called it the, uh, the Corona Kairos, which was a little word I just learned. Uh, and it's sort of the Greek version of the Chinese version of, uh, you know, opp- crisis and opportunity are the same. The two two different sides of the same coin, right? And uh, what's been fascinating about the Liminal Order is that our mission was to set out to help guys help their families and help their communities. And because we had everyone prepped well in advance, in fact, we had them prepped so far in advance that their friends and family members thought they were crazy. And then a month later, they were calling them prophets. So uh, we, we've had everybody prepped to, to take care of their families and uh, now we're actually taking a look at how we can have an impact on the, on the nation with a number of different initiatives that we've got going. So, you know, when people are faced with crisis, they, they do reach out to their people that are close to them, people that uh, they care about, people that they work well together with. And uh, you can get all three of those things in the liminal order. That's, that was sort of the whole point. And so our thesis has been proven uh, over the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, there's just a, a ton of people trying to get in and uh, we're just taking our time and growing and uh, the future is looking really exciting. Excellent. I love to hear that because I really think groups like this are, you know, they're, they're more rare today than they were in the past. And I feel like there's a huge void for these kinds of groups because you see a lot of times uh, people these days, especially young people are turning towards the government, turning towards like socialist ideas to try and get, you know, like a handout or, or some sort of, you know, basically be taken care of in that kind of way. Whereas the way I look at it is, you know, there's a lot higher chance and a better method if you use, you know, just people in your community, you know, if there's more of a social structure for supporting people, much more powerful and, uh, you know, uh, sets up a system where we can maintain our freedoms and liberties and everything like that. Yeah. Well, you know, what's happened is that uh, we, have eroded the guardrails in our in our society by the the church has become and i'm not really a religious person by any means but the church has become far less important uh, our civic uh, community uh, civic groups and local community groups have been been diminished in their value and uh it was especially then you add the dynamic of uh, all men's spaces uh sort of falling by the wayside as well um, this was there was an opportunity to sort of uh, create the 21st century version of a fraternal order, uh, and uh, we have you know, our goal is to again to help help ourselves help help our families, and so we start with start with ourselves. So it, it is some people might call it a selfish approach, in that you know we're very focused on our physical fitness, our mental and spiritual well being. We, we practice meditation. We, we study. Uh, philosophy and logic and other things to help us think straight and uh, put things in context for us. And and it's really starting with taking care of yourself uh, and, and making sure that you're on the right path at all times, because that is the way that you provide the healthy core for your family, which then can come together with others to, to form a strong community, which then in turn, hopefully will form a strong nation, which is really the, the end goal here. 
love that. Uh, could, could you tell me a little bit about the story of, of how it came to fruition and maybe like why you chose to start something from scratch rather than, mm-hmm. you know, maybe uh, work with one of the existing, you know, fraternities, something like Freemasons or something like that. Like what, why, why start fresh? Sure. Yeah. So the, the I, there, it's just such a long, it, there, there's so much to the backstory. Uh, we can go back. I, uh, I started writing in sort of men, what we call men's spaces on the, on the internet manosphere. and uh, the manosphere, definitely. And, you know, I was populating some of the message boards in the early areas, like, you know, basically 2005, 2008, I started posting on the forums and became more prolific there. And eventually in 2015 started writing a blog and tweeting. And along the way, you know, I started pulling on the strings of relationships and male, female dynamics. And I kept pulling on the string and it just led me from the bedroom to universities, to academia across the country, to corporate HR rooms, to, you know, all the way across all of our institutions, media, everything, uh, this sort of uh, conflict and uh, disparaging of, of traditional masculinity. And so uh, we've been working, I've been writing in this field on, on developing a you know, positive sense of masculinity for a number of years. And um, as things evolved, you know, we began to see that the, the war on men wasn't just a fevered dream of some back corner on the internet. Uh, we saw uh, last year, the American Psychological Association, the largest mental health organization uh, in the United States, uh, come out with guidance for its therapists and counselors that basically the things that we thought of as being traditionally masculine uh, are now pathological. And so, you know, kids exhibiting a tendency to competition or risk-taking or aggression, uh, these are things that are now going to be counseled out of young, of young boys and so there is there is a, an ongoing uh, effort to degrade the value and of masculinity and to uh, sort of reduce and eliminate the opportunities for young men to figure out even how how to become men. And so the liminal order is a is a response to to that in some ways. Um, we aren't interested in like blaming feminism or, you know, attacking people or protesting or whatever. In fact, we all kind of want to get out of the way of the culture war. Uh, we don't want to have online spats or like draw unwanted attention to ourselves or troll people or whatever the case may be. In fact, we wanted to uh, strategically disconnect from the social media universe. We want to step back. And instead of, and this is one of the overarching themes of today, instead of having a sort of limitless connection, this indiscriminate connection outwards, uh, we wanted to take a step back, set up a perimeter, establish a high trust, high value, high privacy uh, area where we could know who was inside with us, uh, get to know them, form relationships, and continue to do some of the, the good things about social media and the online, online world, which is, you know, acquire and analyze and synthesize information and data at your own, at your own pace and, and uh, be able to get information from sources rather than listen to the government or listen to our, our so-called experts. And so the idea was for us to step back, disconnect, form a high, high value, high trust environment. And then once you get, you know, we have 200 members now. So once you have 200 members together, um, what it's going to become is sort of unpredictable. It's a, it's a function of who is in the group, what their connections are, their skills, their interests, aptitudes. 
And so what we've seen is, is I've designed a system where uh, the outcome is, is unknown, but the process is known. So we work on the process of surfacing information, surfacing ideas, making connections, doing mentoring, doing trainings, uh, just doing continuing education, deep dive learning. And, and through these experiences and processing the day-to-day information, we have had a number of business opportunities rise out of the connections that were made within the Luma order. Uh, we've had media opportunities. We've got writers placed at, at, at publishers. We've gotten uh, funders matched with uh, enterprises. We've got new businesses coming up. And uh, it, it's amazing to see what the guys are able to generate on their own because uh, they all have their, they all have their own ideas and their own motivations and and uh, you know we're we're building a system in which there can be multiple networks even within this larger network. So we're at 200 guys now. Um, I don't see any reason why in the next two years we're not at 2,000. That's sort of my goal: 200 to 2,000 at this point. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, especially I think kinds of crises like the coronavirus should be very beneficial for that organization because it's, it sounds like this, that people realize that there is a reality, you know, sort of beneath us that, you know, things can fall from, from our current position uh, and our current level of mm-hmm. comfort um, and our current, uh, you know, sort of just the way things have been going for a while. It seems like it's been a long time since our, our society it's, has really been put to the test. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, you know, for some of us who are, have been, oh, there you go. There was. My <laughs> Rosie, honey, it's the mailman. Uh, for some of us who we, we've been watching these events, uh, the last one that I, you know, hold on one second. Rosie, no, come on. The last one, I apologize for that. The last no, one, 2008, 2009 financial crisis. And so what that did was not only did that wreck the real estate market, not only did it wreck the financial market and the economy, but it also ended up wrecking uh, our cultural and societal institutions in the sense that all trust was extinguished at that point, right? Like people had been doubtful that you can be skeptical of the government, but the way that the 2009 or 2008-9 housing crisis, financial crisis was handled basically ended any pretense that the government was there looking out for you or that they knew what they were doing or that the system was even one that could be managed, right? Like it's so complex now that uh, there's no one group that's going to be able to, to decide everything for us. And so this Corona event, you know, whether you think Trump did a good job or not, or whether you think we should have shut down or not, the, the truth is, is that there's been a systemic failure it's multi-generational, it's bipartisan, it's across all of our institutions. None, no one was prepared uh, for this. And it's the last sort of straw, I think, for people to, to really realize that we're on our own. Uh, and there's just no way that the government can, can be what we, what we think it should be or what some people's vision, vision for the government is in terms of their expertise or ability to manage this very complex system. And so it's, it, it's on us now to make sense of the information space, to discern what's valuable, what isn't, uh, to process it, to, to bring it inside of you, embody it, act it out, have integrity to follow through on it. These are all things that are uh, up to us. And since we don't have a lot of those uh, civic groups and community groups and, and powerful church communities like we might have had in the past, it's, it's up to us to create something new. So this is a novel 
organization for a novel time. You know, getting together with your boys is not uh, is not a new thing, but uh, the way that we've organized around a similar worldview, um, using the latest technology, uh, and then trying to to navigate this world in a very 2020 way. Uh, this is we're on the cutting edge and and on all the things that we're doing. So, you know, to, to join an existing group and try to, uh, you know, guide it the direction that I thought it needed to go that, that didn't, didn't even cross my mind once, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by nature anyway, and I like to build things. And this just seemed like the perfect natural extension of all the things I had been working on for the last, for the last number of years, I was sort of built, built for this moment in, in a number of ways. That's fantastic. And, and I really appreciate what you say about, uh, you know, it being sort of, it's on us and that the coronavirus has really revealed that to us because I think, like I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of young people are starting to turn towards the government as being sort of the centralized focus of responsibility. Whereas in previous times when, you know, we're much closer to nature or just, you know, everyday survival, you know, each family unit, each, you know, each group had, you know, their, their own sense of individual responsibility to survive, under any conditions. And we've really faded from that, you know, with modern luxuries and the lack of sort of existential crisis that's faced uh, any sort of young generations today. Yeah. Yeah. Corona is definitely, um, you know, a a nine 11 type event for, for the younger people. This is the first, first time that they've had to have a major crisis that they felt, you know, I suppose if you're 10 years old, you don't really notice the the housing crash. Uh, But if you're, if you're 21 or 22 right now, you know, the, this Corona thing is, is cutting into your life too. In fact, everybody in the country is dealing with it, which makes it even more widespread than a traditional war. I mean, we've never had bombers flying overhead. You know, we haven't had like turn out all the lights in the cities. Like I don't, we haven't had rations on anything for however long. Yep. And, and so everyone in the country is actually participating in the negative consequences of this Corona crisis. Um, and, and we're none, none of us are leaving our house and the streets are desolate at night and the, and the factories are closed and shops are boarded up and we're all locked up. And, uh, this is a, a, a unifying national experience in that regard, um, giving us something, a psychological shared experience that we can, yes. that we can bind bond over, I think is going to be there. There are going to be benefits to that. And it's interesting to see what the new divides are. Um, the left and right divides <clears throat> aren't as prominent right now. Uh, right now, it's more of consensus versus non-consensus, right? So it's like, who are the people that believe that we need to, to, to shut everything down? And who are the people who think that we need to open everything up? And interestingly, I don't think that's ideologically based, really. Uh, there's, there's, there's groups on the right that both want to open it up and close it down, and groups on the left that, that want to do the same. So now we're, for at least this moment in time, you know, our main concern is like, are we all going to die from this invisible bug? And what are we going to do to to stop it? And I used to joke a few, you know, recently that like, if only if only like aliens would come or something, or we could all unify around some sort of uh, external threat, that maybe that would be useful for unity. Um, and here we have a moment where we can unify around an external event. Of course, we're arguing. <laughs> yeah, how to handle it, but uh, it, at least we're like. For at least the time being, we've stopped sniping at each other so much. Like I've noticed a fall off in in sort of the culture war elements that used to that, that used to just be like the main stage. They're now completely shut off to the side temporarily. I don't I don't think that's going to be permanent. 
but uh, you know, talking about uh, <clears throat> you know the, the wokest stuff these days it ha- it is sort of out of vogue when everybody's worried about uh, you know possibly like forty percent uh, reduction in annualized GDP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, the uh, sort of uh, you know social science points don't really add up anymore. Uh, not yeah. not nearly as valuable. Um, it, it's interesting uh, to look at it from that perspective of what it can do as a, a as a benefit. The whole coronavirus situation is unifying everyone on a common experience. Mm-hmm. It seems like historically that that tends to have a good effect uh, over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my what I've been thinking in regards to that though is if if our unifying experience will be sort of shortchanged by continuous media division because it seems like. Uh, people in general have stopped a lot of the political bickering, uh, you know, individuals, but the uh, sort of media division has not really come to a halt. And when you compare it to a time like during World War II, or at least what we think of, you know, the media during World War II, at least it seemed like they were on the same page as the general public, as opposed to still trying to score political points. Well, what's interesting is in World War II, the public was on the page that the media set. That's how it worked, right? Mm -hmm. So there was only a handful of people producing the news, and uh, they they dominated all the channels of distribution, so they got to decide what what our universe of knowledge was. And in fact, while that really provided for a lot of opportunity for corruption and malfeasance, it did provide a unified uh, a, a national cohesion because we had like one set of stories to to gather around, and that's yeah. how we that's how we organize ourselves is around imagined orders and around stories in our in our brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's what makes us unique in many ways. And so that that had value, actually positive value, but it, a lot of negative value as well. And now what you've got is instead of one group talking to everybody, you've got everybody talking to everybody. And the last <clears throat> five years has seen an explosion in what people call the citizen journalist. Um, and that's a rise in response to the failures, the obvious clear failures of the media to either research uh, or report fairly or report facts or to, to, to act without bias. And so you've seen guys like Tim Pool, if you're familiar with him, yep. he's a great example of a, of a citizen independent journalist who has his own audience. They, they, they support him in such a way that he has got no issues. Uh, you know, he's making money producing news and information for people. And, uh, the way I've been looking at it is like the, that was phase one. Um, the inform the, the citizen journalists, the, the, the next phase is what we're working on now is what I've been calling info malicious. And so, we know that that not only do we need to to have independent journalists giving us news, but we need uh, independent groups who are able to to go out and research and analyze and process and create a worldview. And the reason why I use militia is because militias arise in a time of crisis when the government is failing or is incapable of providing security. And that's where we are right now. The government is incapable of providing us the information that we need to survive. And so we've raised info to go out and, and win in this information space because we live in an information age, information economy. Information is what is what is valuable to us, and so we need to we need to find new ways to get it. And now, with regards to the the trust in the media, I think at least in the circles I run in, you know. It's everyone there understands that the all sides of the media is really just kayfabe if you're familiar with the term, right? Like fake pro wrestling scripted almost. Mm-hmm. 
the rest of the country may not know that just yet, but it's so absurd. I think even the most partisan people on both sides realize that it's all a partisan circus. And so, you know, if you, anybody who's mildly intellectually curious uh, spends no time on New York times or Fox news, right? Like it doesn't matter right or left. You just know that you need to go elsewhere to learn because uh, you can't, you can't trust them. You can't trust the New York times, which is just shocking to me. Uh, you can't trust CNN. You can't trust, you can't trust any of them really. Yep. Um, and so even, even with a guy like Tim, you know, that Tim's, Tim's motivations are aligned with yours. And so you can trust him to deliver you accurate info. And you're also paying him for a perspective that you appreciate. And so that's also the future is curation, right? So there's so much information out there that the value in it is not the actual data. It's, it's in being able to select what's important and what isn't. And that's why you see guys on Twitter who not only talk about their stuff, but they're promoting other people's stuff and curating news information and, and analysis that way too. And you can see the value and power of curation growing. I think that's going to be something that we all talk about because uh, we're, we're all understanding we're, we're drowning in data and information. And in fact, the information space is purposefully polluted. It's purposefully overflowing. It's purposefully overflooded. Uh, people know that if they, they put out, just a million pieces of garbage information. They can also slide that one piece of negative, bad information they want in there at the same time. And so if they can make the, it, the signal you know, lost in the noise, that's an advantage to them. So if you ever feel like you're being overwhelmed by data information, you are, and that's, yeah. and, that's by, and that's by design. And so another element of this overarching theme that I've been tracking, which is strategic disconnection. We have to, Acknowledge that there's information overload, acknowledge that the information is polluted, uh, and it's a disease just like Corona. It just goes into your brain instead, and you need to set up barriers, social distance away from the, the bad information, and uh, you know, find ways to get healthy uh, from your roots all the way on up to the top. So what are some ways that you've uh, found maybe in your own life to curate healthy information? Mm. <clears throat> That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, for me, I have a tendency to be a curator. So I, I'm always just absorbing mass amounts of information and just read, you know, countless numbers of books, a million different blogs and, and track a lot of things. And I'm a trial and error kind of guy and, and I would just experiment with stuff. Um, but now, now we've got a little bit more of a formalized, it's not formal per se, but the process is, is habituated where, in our group, the news comes out or we find research, we bring it in, we all digest it, we talk about it, we pull it apart or support it or whatever. And then it becomes part of our sort of accepted understanding of the world. And uh, that's an iterative process, right? So the whole thing is about iteration. It's all about trying once, seeing what happens, readjusting, trying again, and continuously doing what's known as the OODA loop, right? Which is observe, orient, decide, and act and uh, the people that can engage that OODA loop even more quickly than their competitors are going to have an advantage, right? So here's an example. Like, let's say you're a dude in your 40s and your testosterone is low, but you don't know it and you just feel like shit and you're depressed and you're getting flabby and you don't want to have sex anymore and uh, you don't know why. 
Okay. So you just end up living your life like that the rest of your life. But if you're in the mindset of like, I have to observe, orient, decide and act like, Oh, I'm observing that. I feel like shit. Let me reorient myself to the data and the information out there. Oh, I can get on TRT, make that decision and then act. And then boom, you're at a leg up next to the guy who's your same age and your same everything else. Who's just going to like fade off into the low T sunset there you are now feeling like you did when you were 25 and you've got a major leg up on people. So that's like a very basic example. But if you're designed for seeing what's going on, seeking out new information and then being able to decide and act, then you're going to have an advantage to people who don't. Got it. I I mean, I have a few questions about, you know, your term information militia. I think it's a really interesting idea. So would you, first, would you describe, the liminal order as, as an information militia? Absolutely. hundred percent. In fact, that's how, that's how I came to that phrase was just in talking to the guys inside, inside the group. And uh, we, we were just spitballing and it came out and everyone was like, Oh, that's a cool phrase. I'm like, Oh yeah, it really is. Isn't it? And so then I begin to break it down and looking at the definitions, we all know what information is, but the, the militia part, you know, it was interesting to me to see the definition specifically about, uh, raising uh, forces in a time where the government was unable to provide. And it just really struck me that that's exactly where we are. Uh, and so it, 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 all this is a, is a response to failures that we've seen in the, in the market, failures in the government market, political market, economic, financial market, you know, 40 years of relatively stagnant wages for the middle class, uh, you know, and wait and adjusted inflation adjusted terms that, you know, wages haven't gone up, workforce participation rates going down. You know, there's just been all these years of, of sort of stagnation and even decline for large sections of, of America. And that, you know, we weren't getting the information then. No one told us the information about globalization. In fact, they tried to hide it from us. Like uh, Paul Krugman is famous for saying that we can't let the barbarians know you know, what the real consequences of globalization are going to be. And so it's been 20, 30 years of these lies about globalization and interconnectivity and free trade, free capital, free people. And, and no one said what the, the negative consequences were going to be. <laughs> yeah. They just said, it's going to be great. You're going to get new TVs or whatever. Uh, and that it was just what we had to do. It was the end of history. Um, and so there's just been this deficit and we know that and we're feeling it. And then the financial crisis and then all this crisis and so we are in a moment of crisis where the government is unable to provide uh, what we had grown accustomed or expected it to provide. And so now we have to raise our own militias to, to, to sort of combat and fight within this information space. And, uh, and an information or a militia rather can, can be the first definition I told you. The second definition is also then uh, of rebel or insurgent groups uh, versus a nation state or a, a hosting army. And in some ways, we're experiencing that as well. There is an ongoing fourth generation conflict between what's known as the blue church, which is the the legacy institutions, the academia, media, deep state, all these things that have been in power uh, for the last 30 or 40 years uh, versus the red insurgency, which is what led to Donald Trump's election. And so the red insurgency can be seen as a militia as well, the, the, the Trump phenomenon. I mean, he came in and hijacked not only the Republican Party, but then the, the government basically and hijacked strong word for the government. He won the election fair and square. Yeah, but, yeah. 
but uh you know he he was uh, outside of the party he was an outside outsider and uh he was he was propelled into the presidency by basically what amounted to a rebel militia uh in the United States deciding uh, they were going to uh, enact a, a revolution through through the uh, sort of nuclear bomb of Donald Trump, and so militia can can be to supplement the standing army, and it can also be to repel a repressive, you know, sort of a, a host or or invading army. And so there's because because fourth generation warfare concepts tell us that war is now all encompassing. The difference between civilian and military is completely blurred. The war spaces and information spaces, it's in media spaces, it's for the hearts and hearts and minds, it's on the moral level. Um, and it's far less now anybody lining up on either side of the field and shooting each other, right? Yep. So, so it, there, there's conflict happening uh, all the time and you've been conscripted whether you want to participate or not. Uh, and especially if you're a, a, a straight white male, um, they, they've put a target on your back in terms of the culture war. And so you're in it, whether you want it to be or not. And the question becomes, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to just try to endure what's going on? Or are you going to try to thrive? Or then are you even going to try to counteract what's happening? And so that, that, that is the cycle that I went through. And the liminal order is the result of all that thinking. Everything that we just talked about uh, resulted in you know, me deciding, all right, let's let's avoid conflict. Let's avoid cancel culture and 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 all the stupid stuff that happens online. Don't don't stick your neck out. Don't get it chopped off. Don't leave traces of your viewpoints all over the internet that are going to be there forever. Um, you know, don't count on the government to help you. Yes, we have to promote ma- you know, positive masculinity. So let's let's all get together and do this in a high trust and and high value high value community. And it's important, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about liminal order all day long because it's, it's my, my life's work, but it's also uh, exactly representative of our current environment. It's on trend, it's on the edge. And it's, so it's, it's not only relevant for me, but it's relevant for everybody because the way that we, you know, people discovered, co- you know, Corona data is through these insurgent intelligence networks. In fact, I read an article in Vanity Fair about it just last week. Uh, about how what they called the MAGA right was well prepared to be ahead of the curve on Corona because of the nature of the way that we're organized and the nature yep. of our of thinking and the way that we process information. So uh, all this is just one step ahead for me in my life path that has just been feeding on itself. So uh, it's an exciting time. Obviously, there's tragedy happening, so it's it's hard to be too too upbeat about it yeah uh, but you know at the same time it's like uh twitter followers at all time high the wait list for the liminal orders at 1500 people and growing uh memberships at all time high podcasts all time highs like book sales all time high so like the interest in, in this idea is very strong right now and uh, and, and I'm happy to just keep sharing about the ideas and concepts because it's, we're not going to be the only group like this, right? There's, I've already, I'm starting to see other ones, you know, form and other people get the ideas after watching what we've been doing. And, and, and it's not going to just be, uh, on the right side. It's also going to be on the left. Uh, it's also going to be more formal, less formal. Um, you know, this is the future. Um, you're only as strong as your network. Uh, 
That's always been, it's always been true, but even more so true today. And if you don't have a network right now, you can feel it. You, you can feel it. And when you do have a network, you can feel that too. So the, the value proposition has actually never been more clear than it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one, one thing I think should clarify about, you know, an organization like yours is how the information flow works. Cause I think for a lot of people, when they hear about these like centralized groups, or if you called it a militia or an order or something, I, I think there's like this representation in the media of like some centralized doctrine being handed down to all the members. And that sort of creeps mm-hmm. people out. Whereas the situation that you're describing, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more of a trickle up, uh, you know, people yeah. assembling a variety of information and that uh, variety of information that the entire group of people can handle, uh, you yes. know, and filter through as opposed to what one individual is capable of uh, yes. it sort of filters up through the chain and distributed amongst the people. So it's more vetted and, and the information is more decentralized and fragmented sort of like a militia, you know, coming together from, you know, uh, coming together rather than fragmenting apart. Yeah, no, that's, it's, that's exactly right. Um, I, I do program like our, our sort of general curricula, but those things are all geared around giving people tools, uh, skills and knowledge that they can then use to process the world, make themselves better, do good in society. And, uh, I don't tell them what they have to do with it or what views to take. Uh, but you know, we, what I present is like, physical fitness standards. We, we have standards for everybody. Um, we have uh, meditation programs. We have uh, community service outreach. We're studying uh, logic taught by a philosophy professor. We've studied cognitive behavioral therapy taught by a, a practicing clinical psychologist. We studied fourth generation warfare taught by a United States Naval Academy professor, right? So these are the things that I give the guys. And then when they're equipped uh, when your body and your mind are in alignment and when you are given the tools to think critically about the world and you're given the context in which to see, uh, to observe all of today's events, then you have the skill set and the tools and the, 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 the tuning of your own instrument is ready to, to process information and make decisions for your family and to take action. So my efforts are geared towards building people's skills and stamina Whereas once they receive those skills and and that energy, then it's on them to figure out the world and to figure out the data. And we have guys that show very strong leadership too. So people just take the initiative and then things sort of naturally happen. Like for example, in December, we, we opened up the Corona room in our, in our messaging system. And it was just a couple of people in there. And then by the end of December, early January, it was just sucking all the energy from the other groups you know, out of business and finance or out of sex and relationships or out of food and drinks or out of philosophy or out of the reading room or whatever uh, into the Corona room because that became, it was, it was hot. Right. And so, and so it just uh, organically drew the uh, traffic and attention within the group to the subject matter. And then we began to apply all of our collective sort of cognitive horsepower to it. And so by middle of February, we had put out a position paper to everybody in the group, you know, advising them what to stockpile, when to do it, what to expect, when shutdowns are going to come, how to, how to take care of yourself. Uh, you know, we were even ahead of the curve on hydrochloroquine. We were on masks, like on a million things. And, and that all happened organically. So I'm not standing up there at the top saying today is Corona day and go forth and figure it out. Yeah. Um, 
it was just the right thing to do at the right time and it was crowdsourced. And so when the network gets to a big enough size, you can, you can cover basically the spectrum and it just becomes like a heat map and then we're all sort of drawn to it and then we apply our focus and then, and then good things happen. And do you, is the, is the network uh, exclusively online or is it also, uh, are there in-person events as well? Yeah, we have had in-person meetings in, I think, nine or 10 cities across the United States, New York, D.C., San Fran, Los Angeles, Denver, Nashville, Austin, Western New York, um, I think one in Chicago, maybe. And uh, the in-person meetings are very important. In fact, we've had at least three or four of them here in D.C. Um, That's the that's the main selling point, you know, is like, yeah. we want to get off of social media. We want to forego the weak affiliations of social media and forge the strong bonds of personal connection. Yes. And you can't do that. Um, you know, this medium with zoom is like a step up from like text messaging and send Twitter. Yeah. Um, but, but then meeting in person, uh, obviously is, is the ultimate way to build connections. And, um, guys want that. That's a component that's really important to them. So on one hand, Corona has been strengthening for the organization, but it sucks that we can't get together. So we've been doing like social zooms. We've got one tonight at like eight o'clock and uh, you know, probably 50 guys will show up just to like, just to hang out. We do formal classes and formal workshops and stuff, but this one's just going to be like a social. Um, But uh, once that's done, We'll have, once the, the Corona shit is done, whenever it is, we'll have a national event. We have regional events planned. Um, I travel around and, and meet up with the guys as well. And without fail, every single time guys get together, they leave uh, the meeting feeling more energized, uh, filled with more positivity, um, excited about the future, filled with opportunities and ideas. And, uh, you know, there's a little hocus pocusy feeling about like how community can make you literally healthy, healthier, happier, and wealthier. Uh, it's true though. It sounds foo foo, but like, I mean, you know, it is, it is dead true that when you get together with people, you break bread, you drink wine, you share energy and stories and, and just vibe off each other and build that connection, then the rest of it just becomes even easier, the professional connections or, or whatever else we're going to do. So um, for me, it was the, the main differentiating factor from like just being quote an online group uh, was that we really wanted to transcend those, those affiliations, weak affiliations and replace them with the strong bonds of personal connection. I may have written that a time or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think you're a hundred percent right. There's no, there's no uh, sort of woo ness about it. You know, if you just think of the way humans evolved over millions of years in sort of a tribal environment, being very close to people socially, it makes all the sense that, you know, when you're in that kind of environment, you walk away feeling great. You know, it's really embedded in our DNA. Uh, and then I can't emphasize enough for the audience how important, you know, meeting people in real life really is. You know, it's one thing to sort of reach across Twitter or, uh, you know, so through a message board, but to know someone in real life, is more important now more than ever. Uh, not only does it add, you know, uh, just to your network and to all the possibilities that you can utilize with your network, but also you really can't trust uh, our technology to, to keep us interconnected. Uh, you know, like we can't trust uh, Twitter or any of the other uh, social media platforms to keep everybody active on there. You know, they can move their goalposts, they can ban people, they can remove people from that environment. So really at the end of the day, the in-person connection is the most powerful thing to maintain, uh, you know, 
and it'll also give you the greatest yeah, it's, benefit. It's like the, it's amazing that getting together in person is the ultimate Twitter hack. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I have long said that uh, the dirty secret of Twitter is that powerful social media networks are built offline. People think that you're going to build a powerful social media network by just like tweeting or, yeah. or, or whatever. You can't. I don't know. If it ever seems like Twitter is run by a bunch of friends getting together secretly making plans behind closed doors, it's because it's true. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. And in fact, uh, you know, I, I've become sort of a student of Twitter after all these years now. And I can just remember events that happened in 2015 where I know people got together. They met for the first time and then years worth of work and, and partnerships and things came out of that. Uh, and it happens all the time. And I've dedicated myself to making sure that I make those personal in, connections and then, uh, you know, turn that into a productive relationship and expand the network. Um, you know, the Corona is, is, is screwing things up a little bit, but as soon as, as soon as we're all let out, uh, we will be, we will be, we'll be restarting those connections and restarting that the in-person stuff. Cause, uh, God, we're all just sort of getting a little stir crazy, I think at this point. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, you know, that sort of stir craziness is kind of like pulling the pendulum in one direction. And as soon as that lets up, you know, things are going to go back the other way. And I, I even, have predicted for a while that just with our current sort of social landscape, you know, most of our socializing being done online and, uh, you know, less and less in-person sort of socializing, you know, in every way, shape and form that that's eventually going to drive people to the point of wanting to connect with people in real life. You know, the pendulum sort of swinging, swinging back towards groups like yours, like the liminal order to, to, you know, uh, really, you know, create real connections with people. Well, what's interesting is when, when I was uh, growing up, I was friends with the neighbor's kids because they lived next door to me. Yep. When I went to college, I was friends with the people I was friends with because they were like in that first class that I took or whatever. When you're in your early professional career, you're friends with the people that you, you can tolerate that you met at work, right? So yep. in each of these circumstances, you're building friendships after you've been brought together mm-hmm. and what brought you together was happenstance, right? Or maybe you both wanted to go to Georgetown or whatever, but still, it's still happenstance. Uh, social media has made it possible for people to easily organize around shared ideas and shared value systems. And so everybody in the little order is coming from a similar worldview. So first they have to just engage with and appreciate my content. My content can be polarizing. So if you're not into it, you're not going to keep listening. So that like filters people out right away. Right. And then they have to, they have to join the mailing list and go through the funnel and go through the onboarding process and get brought up to speed. So by the time they make it into the the communication channels, they know exactly what they're getting. They know exactly why they're there. They want to be there. And we're organizing around a shared worldview and a shared set of values uh, instead of being friends with the kid that you got assigned to be your roommate. And because of that, these bonds are, I think they feel tighter. They feel stronger. They're more legitimate. um, And, and it allows for the, the other elements of our relationships to, to really bloom without, you know, I get this from guys all the time, you know, Oh, I can't even bite my tongue at the office or I go to Thanksgiving and I can't say anything. And, and people feel isolated and they feel cut off and they feel like they, they, are constantly one one moment away from saying the wrong thing that's going to get them fired or ostracized or whatever. And I'm not talking about guys that have crazy views. I'm just talking about guys that are like even willing to just question 
you know, the, the main narratives. If you even question main narratives today in polite company, quote unquote, polite company, uh, you can find yourself very quickly on the outside. And so, uh, by having that baseline, uh, a mutual understanding, uh, then it allows for all these other relationships to, to, to bloom. And it, it really uh, has been, uh, it, it has exceeded my expectations, to be honest. It's been nine months. We're at my like, you know, year and a half projection number in terms of members, the things that have occurred, the relationships that have formed, the, the care that has been expressed by, by the fellow members to each other has just blown me away. Here's one story. Uh, we had a guy who um, was getting married that week and uh, he was kind of already strapped because of the wedding and other issues and something happened to his truck and he couldn't get it fixed in time. And like all the guys in the order and like within an hour had raised like two grand for this guy. And we just zipped him like two grand PayPal. And like he brought it up casually in the chat. And like two hours later, we had already given him two grand and he like got the truck fixed, saved the day with the wedding and like was able to do whatever it was that he needed to get done. And another instance we had like a guy had a, a death in the family, and, you know, within like five minutes we had raised, you know, another couple of grand, which we gave him a big chunk so that he could, you know, miss work and do other stuff, we bought him flowers and groceries and uh, supplies. And so th- there's this element of self care and mutual aid that um, I had hopes for, but you can't manufacture that stuff, right? You can't manufacture genuine care for your fellow. And when these things happen and people just instantly snap too with their own, I didn't even organize it. This is just organized from the fellow members. Um, that really, that really meant a lot to me and showed me that there was a lot of great potential. And then this Corona shit has just, man, just put the explanation point on everything. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty jazzed. I don't know if you can tell. And uh, I've just been working, working like crazy. And uh, the guys are excited. The energy is really high. And it's because we're doing something good for the world. We're, we're helping each other help themselves and help their families and literally helping their communities and their nation. So um, it's sort of a win across the board. And it, it reminds me of the, when green buildings started to be a thing in real estate, like 15 years ago, the whole concept was this triple bottom line. It was like, yep. Do, do well for yourself, do well for the environment and do well for your community. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can't square all of those up, but at least with the liminal order here, I feel like we've squared that up as best as possible. Uh, and we're doing well for ourselves and well for the community. And, um, you know, with the alignment of, uh, incentives like this, uh, I don't know, I, I really, I just couldn't be more satisfied or happier with it, to be honest. Excellent. I love to hear that. And, and the triple bottom line, I love that concept as well. We use that in my business. I, I own a solar company, Better Earth, uh, oh, Social B Corp. So uh, all that sort of stuff there. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's really phenomenal what you got going on. I really think it's interesting how much the, uh, how similar some of these, like when you combine self-improvement, uh, you know, a network of people with a like mindset and how that usually equals charity. Uh, it's yeah. a really interesting combination and really interesting output. And I'm curious, do you have any like, you know, charity goals or any sort of charity incentives uh, that you've considered? Well, um, I don't know about incentives, but we did do uh, around Thanksgiving, we did a, a combination where we had a, a style and fashion guy come um, and he talked to us about like 
how to, it seems kind of silly, but everybody needed to do it. Uh, how to clean out your closet, right? Like what fits. So they like, don't teach he, that in school. So, right. So that he, he taught everybody like, you know, some of the guys really need some help. So he taught him like how, how, how to know if this shirt fits you and how to know if your pants fit you or whatever. And then he, we all went through our closets and then we collectively donated thousands, thousands of pounds of clothes to uh, Purple Heart Foundation, something like that. Uh, but it was specifically for uh, military veterans who've returned and, and who were in need. And so we combined like a, a self-help, you know, sort of get your style right thing uh, with a collective uh, charity and community service action where we, I mean, thousands and thousands of pounds, hundreds and hundreds of items that we donated. Uh, and we all did it at the same time right around Thanksgiving. So um, we, we've done external giving like that. Um, we've done internal giving. Um, people donate their time and energy and mentor and mentee uh, relationships. Um, and we do have plans to do more coordinated external community service. It's a, it's a fundamental component of what we think uh, makes for a, a happy and healthy and realized uh, independent male, uh, which is, uh, you know, service and fitness and, and your mind, right? You got to get all those things together and you'll be well ahead of your contemporaries. Uh, if you get to the point where you're, you're, you're doing community service and you can feel how it benefits you and the people around you, um, you're obviously operating on a slightly higher plane than than most people who are just worried about getting to and from work and watching Netflix. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love that. I really appreciate what you're doing with your organization. And I know we're, you know, coming up on an hour here. I wanted to give you a, uh, and it's unfortunate because I could ask you questions all day, Jack. I know you have a really interesting story about, you know, being doxxed and also uh, about <laughs> your, your past, uh, um, working with charter schools and things like that. Uh, I, I could, I could go into all that stuff, but, uh, I appreciate you sharing all this information about the liminal order today. Cause this is, I, I think for the people listening, like you need to find a group, you need to find a network and utilize that network and get together. It's the most powerful thing you could, you could take advantage of today. Yeah, I agree. Thank you very much for the opportunity. If people want to find out more, come on down to the website. It's liminal hyphen order.com. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Jack Murphy live. Um, sign up for the wait list. You get to all, all the information that you need. You get a whole series of emails explaining the backstory, how it works, what the expectations are, etc. cetera. Uh, you can always reach out to me on Twitter, DM me there. Uh, I try to respond to everybody. And, uh, you know, just if you don't know anything about us or anything about me, just, just come check, check out the Twitter feed and check out the podcast. That's sort of the first way that people get, get into the universe. I uh, start really broadly with the free social media and the open free content. And, and if you like what you hear, then you just, you know, you sign up and then you get a little bit closer and you get a little bit closer and eventually you'll be with us on the inside at the limit order. Yeah. I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, I started following you just a few months ago and, and here we are today and I, I can tell you I'll be on that wait list uh, this afternoon. Awesome. That sounds great, Patrick. You'd be a great addition. We'd appreciate it. I appreciate your time today, Jack. And, uh, and your book again is Democrats the Deplorable. Yeah, Democrats are deplorable. Uh, it reached the like number six in all of anthropology at one point this year, and it was I put it out two years ago. So it's still selling really well, uh, and it is a a very in depth and interesting discussion of the nine million Obama voters who ditched the Democrats to vote Donald Trump in twenty sixteen. Not only does it explain, uh, shares individual stories of people who made the transitions. There's some of my personal story in there, but there's also uh, original research, uh, tons of new data, and uh, really explains in depth all the cultural forces that led to what seemed to be the most insane thing we'd ever experienced. 
but now here we are with Corona. So it's been a wild ride. It's Democrats are deplorable. Please check it out. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, find me at Jack Murphy Live. Awesome. Hey, Jack, congratulations on your success with the book and the liminal order. And uh, once again, appreciate your time today and, and everyone go check out your Twitter and buy your book. All right. Appreciate it, Patrick. Take care, man. See ya. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.